0: We at The Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about
1: drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get
0: better. What's up, world? I'm Willie. And I'm Cameron. Welcome back, Cameron.
1: Welcome to the Other Side of Hell show. (laughs) Yes. Yes, the Other Side of Hell show. (laughs) The
0: Other Side of Hell show. It's been a good, exciting, fun morning. Man, yeah, we've been goofing off a lot. Took us a while to roll in, but I'm glad that we got to. We get to work out the kinks. Yeah, you gotta work out the wiggles sometimes. Yeah, gotta love them through it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So welcome to the other side of hell podcast we are rolling in we got an awesome story we got an awesome topic out of the story i'm kind of excited to talk about this too it's gonna be fun yeah it's an interesting topic yeah so we're gonna talk about the first 30 days the first 30 days of sobriety we got that from danny's war story and uh, you know, cause a lot happened within her first 30 days that changed her perspective on sobriety in general. And we'll get into that. And we're grateful for that. She's the, she's the founder of the page on Instagram, sober, social, socially, sober, socially.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She was great. And, uh, and I think it is an interesting topic because a lot happens for a lot of us. If we can make that 30 days, like yeah. for me, it took it took me a couple of years to get 30 days um, yeah like yeah i you know i was introduced to uh, a process of recovery i went through a treatment program um i i was introduced to the rooms of aa and i just would i think the most i ever got was like 20 days yeah and i would you know it's relapse good. and And go back out and test the waters and justify this and justify that. And, and, uh, and yeah. And then eventually it stuck. Yeah. This time it stuck. This time, God willing, it stuck. Yeah. So yeah, I think uh, I think the the first thirty days is an interesting thing to talk about. There's a lot that happens in that first thirty days. Like what what are the what do you think the biggest one for you is that you remember about that first thirty days? The, uh,
0: hitting the thirty day mark kind of made it real for me. Because like, because like, like you were saying, there were so many so many crave attempts. Yeah, yeah. At, and and my counting gets fucked up, man. My counting gets off, and I know it does because I I I'd get out of jail and four days later I'd be like. I've been out of jail for like 3 weeks. <laughs> I've been, I've, been, I've, been, I've been, I or or I'd go through a dry spell with with some drugs or something and be like I haven't I haven't gotten high in like 7 days and it's been like 4 hours or something, you know? Like <laughs> like like my my perception is so off, but but having that dated, you know, this was the last time I used or drank and this is my 30-day mark and in counting up to that and and reaching that 30 days and getting a tag, you know, getting a chip at a meeting or whatever, being recognized and recognizing that I made 30 days was a huge accomplishment. And so I think that's that's a big part of it. But I started feeling really good hmm. and, and I've watched people come in and out of sobriety and in and out. And it's funny, I was talking about this the other day, like the fellowship of sobriety, whether it's on Instagram, in person, at a gym, however you're getting your sobriety, um, the fellowship within it is so miraculous that we think a lot of times I've watched a lot of people, including myself, think 30 days is the, the peak of what it could be like. Of wellness. Yeah. yeah. Um, come in and within 10 or 15 days of, of being sober, we can feel so different sure so completely mm. different and feel so at peace and and all that stuff that a lot of times i've seen it take people out i've seen people come in and, and go god i feel so good I, yeah, I think i could probably handle a drink yeah. <laughs> i mean i'll raise my hand yeah, to that yeah. i I've, I've had i've had profound experiences of wellness within 10 or 15 days of sobriety that made me convinced that 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 was it. Yeah. It, you know, for me, it
1: was, uh, I, well, yeah, I've never taken a drink while I have felt this good though. <laughs> so <laughs> right. it'll probably be different. It'll be different. It'll be different. Like I, I never, understand. I've never felt as spiritual as I do right now. I so, understand myself a little yeah, better. So I think a drink will probably hit different right now. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes that's just what
0: has to happen. That's the lesson that we have yeah. to, to go through some of us. So, I mean, I've, I've had so many, th- like, like I've shared, I've shared that, you know, I accidentally stayed clean for three years. I went into treatment when I was 24, uh, made, I was in treatment for four months. Obviously, uh, I, I imagine I could have used while I was in treatment if I tried hard enough, but I didn't try that hard, but mm-hmm. it didn't seem that I've, I've heard of people using in treatment, but that wasn't my experience. I ended up. One of the other types of people that found myself separated from my connections and uh, the, the cravings were manageable and stuff like that. So I didn't use while I was in treatment. So I was there for four months. And so I got my 30 days that time while I was in treatment. Um, but then when I got out of treatment four months later, I accidentally stayed clean for three years and. Uh, I always say accidentally because I didn't do the work to, to maintain long-term right. sobriety. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just kind of fiddle-farted around. And uh, I found great fellowship. I found something that I could talk like and be like and connect with and, and that stuff. But I didn't have the necessary willingness to go deep like like I have this time. And so uh, after after that three years and I relapsed, I'm certain that I couldn't get another 30 days together. I didn't pick up any any chips for any time in the next six or seven years from mm. the time I relapsed to the time I came back in this time. And so that's kind of like, like my latest experience with the last 30 days is what I think I'm going to talk about today. Because that's the one that's most close to me. It's the one that's lasted the longest. Sure. And so... I think, I think a lot of people can relate with that. We, in, in the rooms of AA, where we're from, we call them retreads. We're retreads. Right? Sure, yeah. That revolving door. And so I know you went into treatment. Mm-hmm. You had some time. Relapsed, mm-hmm. relapsed in treatment.
1: I was one of those that relapsed in, in treatment. In, in aftercare, right? Were, were you? No, in, I, was, I was. I was inpatient at the time, and uh, and you know, relapsed on pain pills because I I hurt my back, mm-hmm. and so I needed it. You know, I needed to take some pain pills. I didn't need to take eight, but I did. How, how did you get pain pills in treatment? Well, I had a prescription, and I was uh, I was yeah what do they call it where you're outpatient like i was inpatient like i actually lived at the treatment center for like two weeks and then they eventually started letting me go home in the morning and at night and then there was one day i was sick i was like i actually had like the flu or something and i just picked up my monthly prescription why i don't know like because there was a part of me that wanted to use and I picked up my monthly prescription and I helped a friend move a couch. And that was enough for me to go, oh, my back. Sure. I better just, you know, I, I, I got to take these pills. I don't know how else to do with it. And and then, you know, and then once I take one, it's like, well, I've taken that one. So I, I've already screwed up. I might as well, really? you know, and, uh, and, you know, that was 130. That was one experience um in in relapse or uh in in treatment and then i came clean i told everybody about it and and uh and then i never could put 30 days together after that i would try for a couple of weeks and then eventually i was drinking again and and just you know i did that that was the pattern for quite some time and then eventually you know i got to a a point of surrender again where it was like what am i going to do here I'm, right. either gonna, I'm either going to, I'm either going to upgrade or I'm going to go back to treatment yeah. because this is not, this is not working for me. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, th- the first 30 days is, is an interesting time because there's so many changes and so many things that are happening. one of the things that I remember in that first little bit of sobriety is knowing full well how destructive this disease is and simultaneously grieving it. Right. Right. Like here I am, I'm a little bit sober. I'm starting to feel good and I can see clearly how much, um, the substance, the drug, the behavior has affected my life in a negative way, but I'm grieving it. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I I don't know what to do without it. And so I sort of felt like I had lost somebody that was close to me. Um, And I I felt that same sort of sense of mourning towards that part of myself. And so it was a really weird sensation because you know, I'm on one hand, I'm feeling really, really healthy, but I'm also very depressed because that's no longer a part of my life. And it was just such a huge part of my life that even though I knew it was bad, destructive and had my life in shambles, I was still like sort of distraught over it. Yeah. And And I think that can be very confusing. It's
0: kind of like something that, that, uh, Danny touched on, you know, where What's my life gonna be like now? And we kind of start questioning our our decision to get sober, right? Oh, like sure kinda that like not really knowing what okay, so my life has been this, and Danny Danny touches on this in her story where, you know, for her alcohol became everything. It was it was a part of every part of her life, mm-hmm. just like drugs and alcohol were a part of every part of our life, and all of a sudden we're in this uh this space where we're not using and drinking and we have examples of people that are different, right? We, you know, we're watching these other people, but still, we don't know what life is going to be like for us. What What is my life going to be like now that I'm not spending all my time running and gunning mm-hmm. and running and gunning and mm-hmm. and having that addicted lifestyle? And um, you know, I think that's why it's so important that we stay close to. The people that are are doing this stuff yeah again though the, the however you're getting sober if it's working for you if it's at the gym or it's a church or or whatever and there's people around you that are the example of that that have been through it yeah you know, it's important for us to maintain and, and continue down that so that we can hear them talk about the the cravings of early sobriety yeah yeah the because that grieving process, what happens when we grieve, eventually we miss, right? Mm-hmm. We, we miss our old friend. Mm-hmm. We miss our mm-hmm. old partner. Yeah. We romanticize and convince sure. ourselves that eh, it probably wasn't as... Maybe I'm making too big of a deal out of all this. Right.
1: Like, maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Like
0: I probably... Handle it a little better this time. Or
1: when we like do hear people talk about it. Like if we go to AA, we hear people talk about it in meetings and we're like, well, I didn't, I hadn't crossed that line just yet. <laughs> it hadn't, it hadn't gotten that bad. Yeah. Did,
0: did you ever romanticize somebody else's bad experience? Yeah. Mm. Like. Well,
1: here's, here's one thing I did a lot later in sobriety is like, I remember, like being in school like I had enrolled in college and I was going to school full-time and I was working full-time and school was 40-minute drive away and I remember it was like finals or something and I got off the freeway to go to school and I saw this homeless guy on the side of the road and I was like that guy has it figured out (laughs) <laughs> I'm not, I'm not <laughs> laughing at the, but the whole situation. Yeah. Maybe, like, maybe he does. I was like, that yeah, guy has does. no problems.
0: Maybe like, he does. I mean.
1: You know, yeah. and if if I'm romanticizing about the homeless guy begging for money and thinking that that dude has something that I want, yeah. I probably need to ask myself, like, what what's going on yeah. with me? You know? Because
0: when you are the homeless guy or the, when you're in the shit, we just want to get out. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's so so cunning this thing to convince us that what we have is something that we don't want and what we want is something that we don't have and all all, all the shenanigans that go along with the mm-hmm. the addicted brain right you know mm-hmm. so you know going going and, and getting sober that first 30 days was very confusing and very emotional there was a lot of of ups and downs with yeah. it um one of the things that Danny also talked about was, you know, I think in order to get that 30 days, we had to commit to mm-hmm. that 30 days. And and for me, it wasn't I wasn't committing to 30 days straight. I couldn't. Right. Right. I, I, I committed to that day each day yeah Mm -hmm. and i was at a meeting yesterday and this guy was was talking about And he used this analogy was really really well for me because he's a truck driver Mm. and he said he said my sobriety is just like my my driving truck and um he goes my life is on the highway and there's all these billboards everywhere there's all these shiny fucking examples of things that i could pull off and do and he goes but I drive my truck from fuel station to fuel station. He I get it, I get in my truck, and I fill it up, and the meeting is my fuel station. Mm. And I drive, and I see all these billboards, and I see all these uh, opportunities to get off the highway and go to the greatest fucking pancakes on earth, or you know this place or that place. But my destination is. The next fuel stop and when my fuel starts getting low I go to the next fuel stop and I fill back up and I get everything that I need while I'm getting fuel so that I don't have to pull off because I'm hungry or tired or, or any of that stuff I get everything that I need at that stop which is enough for me to get to the next station mm-hmm. and that's kind of it's kind of a really good example of, of this thing on on a on a maintenance type basis right like like I go to a meeting or or I get with another alcoholic or I go to the gym or whatever part of my recovery because there's all those parts that are in there for me. It's not just going to meetings. It's not just working the steps. It's not just working with another alcoholic. It's not just going to the gym. It's not just having employment. It's all those things together. Yeah. And and so the, the program for me, if I use that analogy, is like, those all those things are at the fuel station right and i go there and i get all those things and then i'm able to stay on the road of recovery without veering off because of all the shiny fucking billboards and advertisements that look so good and shiny i have to remember that at the core of me i am an alcoholic and a drug addict and i have a disease that wants to fucking kill me yeah it's gonna to try to get me to do that in the most shining and exciting way possible.
1: Yeah, well, you're—I mean, you're not joking. Like, I think the the interesting thing about what you said is—is is it's important for me to remember that there's no there's no destination, right? Like, I'm not. I'm not actually headed somewhere, <laughs> you know, like yeah. yeah, I'm just on a path that means that each day, like I need to commit to staying on the path, but the path doesn't really lead anywhere, yeah, it just keeps getting better and better and better and better, and I just you know have to enjoy being yeah. on the path,
0: yeah,
1: um and one thing about you know when we when we ask ourselves like what does life look like now without drugs and alcohol, I think that it's funny because we talked about, you know, I talked about how our behavior is so self destructive and so negative and and unmanageable. Our lives are completely unmanageable. And yet sometimes the fear of not knowing is is so much more than the knowing yeah. that we're willing to stay in the shit just because we'd rather stay with what we're doing and yeah. know what's going to happen than go out into the wild, yeah, we'll into the unknown. It. And so I think, you know, coming back to what you just said, it's important that I have those people around me that, you know, I can find in either those pit stops or, or wherever that can show me what life is like without yeah. alcohol yeah. so that I don't have to guess. Like, I know if if this is what, like if I have these examples in front of me and I say, okay, if this is what life is like without alcohol, then it sounds pretty good. Because if I start thinking about what life is like without <laughs> alcohol and no examples, it's probably gonna look a lot worse than it yeah. did while
0: I was drinking. How boring is this? yeah.
1: And, and bored, and you know what? Boredom has taken people out, sure. you know, I know a lot of people that are like, I mean, I'm sober, but I'm bored. Yeah. And I mean, what's the solution for that? I think in, in the first 30 days, that's something that we'll encounter as well is, sure. is like, well, what do I do with my time now? Yeah. You know? And, uh, and I think that it's important to remember like our, our time that we spent using is now time that we spend you know recovering and that you know our time in doing that work is equally proportioned and with with that we'll get the equivalent hopefully the equivalent amount of growth from that mm-hmm. and and I think for me I had to really enjoy the feeling of recovery yeah I had to really enjoy learning I had to enjoy figuring things out for myself. I had to be patient and I had to understand that I've never done this before. Uh-huh. You know, There were so many things that I'd never done sober. And so I really had to go into these situations and say, you know what, like, I don't actually know how to do this, but it's okay and I'll figure it out. And, and there are people that have done this that I can talk to about
0: yeah. you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah, because those people give us hope, right? And they, mm-hmm. hope is such a big part of the recovery process and a huge part of the first 30, 60, 90 days. You know, we go in there and that's something that my sponsor talks about all the time is when he got here, when he got to, to the doorstep of recovery, he didn't have any hope. And, and the people that he connected with gave him the hope that he needed. You know, um, one of the things that we're going to run into, and I would suggest you think about this if you're in your th- first 30 days, you know, you've, you got 24 hours or seven days or, or whatever. What are your expectations of what recovery is going to look like? Right. It's mm-hmm. okay to, um, a lot of times that stuff, we're, we we do not voice it out. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about what to expect or what you think it's going to look like or Mm -hmm. how you're going to feel you know what what are these things that you're thinking about what are your fears with it and and people will be more than happy to give you their experience with it right i I love it Mm -hmm. i I love getting a solid question you know from somebody Mm -hmm. a solid question what was your experience with this this was my experience with that yeah. Yeah. Well, it's
1: because you don't have to think about an answer. All you're doing is <laughs> is, is sharing your experience. Is that why? Yeah. I, for me, I think that's that's the biggest thing. Is like, cool. I can just tell you. Yeah. I can just tell you what it was like for me, and and uh, and there's no right or wrong answer. This is just my experience. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the great things about. Um being able to be that person now for somebody that is, you know, in that in those early stages of recovery is is just being able to share my experience because my experience is probably different than your experience mm-hmm. and you know whoever else's experience everybody sort of has their own unique experience with what that first 30 days was like or what yeah. early sobriety was like and for me I was, when, when my last 30 days, I was so humble, Yeah, you know, I was so defeated I that. that I was just willing to do whatever, yeah. I was just willing to do whatever. And, and even that, that being said, even though I had the willingness and I was ready to do whatever anybody told me to do, because it was clear that my own thinking was not the solution right um even though i had that willingness there was still i think i was like day three or four where i was like maybe i'm fucking in here too soon like maybe this isn't you know what i should be doing like maybe i should wait maybe i should you know come back in a month maybe were you comparing bottoms or or No, I think I was, I think I was just scared. Oh. You know, like, I think I was just, I think, I think I was just, I just, I felt uncomfortable and I didn't know what to do about it. Yeah. You know, so, so there was a part of me that really just wanted to, to just delay. And I don't know about you, but. Um that <laughs> yeah, was tomorrow's a, always uh, a better day a to get sober. Part, right? Yeah, exactly, of, of of the disease for me is like, hey, let's do this shit tomorrow, <laughs> dude. Let's start tomorrow. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, tomorrow never comes. It's never a great day to get arrested. It's never a great day. But it, it, it is though. Yeah. You know, it really is a, a good day to get sober. Today's a great day to get sober and stay sober. Uh tomorrow never comes, you know. And making that commitment to hit a meeting or get on a Zoom call or, you know, whatever, whatever your flavor is for that day, one day turns into two. Um, for me, you know, connecting with the other people is such an amazing part of all this stuff. And and my first 30 days going into the rooms of recovery was so amazing. And, and I learned while I was going into those rooms for the first 30 days that uh, I can be loved by others without loving myself. Hmm. And, and Hmm. I guess I can, I can accept the love of others without loving myself because there was still a lot of selfishness within that first 30 days. I didn't know how to not be selfish. I would go to, so I get out of jail, right? Call somebody for help. For me. Yeah. I go to a church, get free bus tokens for me. I go to a uh, thrift shop where they give us clothes for free for me. I get on a bus with the tokens wearing the clothes that they were given for me to go to a meeting where they have donuts and coffee for me. They buy me smokes for me. And they do that stuff for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, They're like, because uh, they want to give me these things so that they can keep it. And they tell me, come back tomorrow. Come back later tonight. Here's where the meeting is later. Do you need a ride? And I'm like, sure, I'll take a ride for me. Mm-hmm. And I do all these things for me at first. For me, for me, I take and I take and I take. And that's the same behavior I had in active addiction, everything was for me to make sure that I'm okay, and somewhere along the line, that switches to where i'm I'm going to this meeting i I, I wouldn't say for them, but it's also not for me at that point it's for growth, I guess like I want to contribute something, and so hmm. I help put the chairs back. sure, yeah, I clean out the coffee pot. I take out the trash. I welcome a newcomer. Mm-hmm. You know, now all of a sudden I have 21 days and a 24-hour guy walks in and I'm able to be of service to him and say, "Yeah, I fucking know how you feel. I was there 20 days ago."
1: Yeah. Well, and 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 with that, I think it's important to to remember that um While I may not have a message that, you know, is going to relate to somebody with five years, I might have a message that somebody with one day needs to hear. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm, if I'm 20 days sober, like there is somebody that has less time than me, that's going to totally Look at that and say, how the hell did you do it? How did you get 20? How did you get 20 days? Because when I was first in recovery, dude, that was amazing to me. And, and, and honestly, like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't believe anybody that had a bunch of time. Like, I, I mean... I literally did not believe it (laughs) I thought that they were lying you know they weren't I mean yeah and I came to find out that they weren't and and really like getting to that point as well where where I was able to believe the people that had 20 years of sobriety it took a lot of time, yeah. you know, it took a lot of time for me to actually accept the fact that these people were being honest and that they really did have that much sobriety and that they were able to do it in this sort of a program, in this environment, in this way by doing these things. And, you know, once I sort of believed in that and I, and I, you know, was able to swallow that giant pill, I was like, Wow that yeah. you mean you mean that you can actually not drink after yeah. being as bad as I was after being the way that I am with alcohol and drink the way that I do I can actually not drink for 20 years yeah wow you know that that was amazing to and me be happy and be happy yeah and be okay with it yeah because you know? that was the other thing is like you know, when I would go to meetings and hear people talk about being sober, I thought that they were just going to be a miserable bunch. Yeah. I mean, these guys can't drink. How much fun can they have?
0: <laughs> How good could life be? Yeah.
1: You know, you can't drink. And it's funny because I've had people, I've had people actually, um, that will sort of put that, put that grief on me as well. Like I'll, I'll tell them that I don't drink and they'll be, Oh, I feel so bad for you. Don't (laughs) like, first of all, like I drink enough for you and me in my my whole lifetime to last everybody, you know, like, and second of all, like I don't need to drink. Like, you know, it'd be different if I wanted to and couldn't, but you know, by the grace of God, I've been relieved of that obsession. and, And so you know, I don't, I definitely don't need somebody to feel bad for me for quote unquote not being yeah. able to drink. Yeah. For us
0: alcoholics, those last days of darkness mm-hmm. weren't fun.
1: Yeah, they were. The, and, the fun and was gone. Yeah, it was so gone. Yeah. I mean, it was no fun. Every time I see somebody making it look like fun, I have to remember like. It's not like that for it you. It was not like that. <laughs> It was not a. It
0: wasn't a beer commercial. Like
1: I don't know what they're doing, but that's not how it was for me. Like, yeah, I can just see you know like people in a ski lodge like, around a nice cozy fire with sweaters, and it's like me. I'm like one glass last all night long, right? And for me, it was like I'm you know four day old clothes, hair's a mess, (laughs) one sock on, like shirts stained hiding you know like haven't brushed my teeth in god knows how long yeah and uh and i'm all alone dark tvs flickering you know like
0: there's nothing
1: that's not that's not Let's put that in a beer commercial. <laughs> Let's
0: make that. Show Show the first part for the first four seconds and then show <laughs> right. our part for the next minute and a half. PBR. Yeah. You come get some. But I mean, so, I mean, we made it through 30 days. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And and what ended up coming out of that is, like I said, you know, I, I learned that I could stay sober for 30 days, one day at a time. And that 30 turned into 60 and that 60 into 90. Um, there was a lot of ups and downs within that period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a lot of different service positions, you know, I'm coming up on next month in December or maybe we'll be in December. Um, I'll have 10 years it started with that 30 days. But you know what life is like now, you know, after, after being able to get through 30 days, because what, what happened in that first 30 days was I established a relationship with people in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I accepted their love. Uh, I found a, a job that turned into a career. Uh, you know, And then 60, 90 days, uh, I got established in that career. Um, a year later, we were able to get our first mobile home you know by this time we're we're driving vehicles to work uh warrants are cleaned up Mm -hmm. uh um cleaning up the wreckage of the financial past and and emotional past um taking responsibility for our lives you know two years in you know start a family or whatever it may be or reconnect with your family at two years you know five years in uh learning how step work works traditions learning how you know really what makes us tick um you know in and in, in you just you know that 30 days turns into years mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and what what remains is is the understanding that that drinking didn't work for me i can't handle my alcohol and that's okay yeah that's okay yeah yeah that's okay Life gets, life gets pretty interesting on this side. For me, I'm one of the alcoholics whose life got better. Right. You know? Yeah. We've, we've heard, we've heard it. it, Some people say, well, getting sober doesn't guarantee your life will get better, but it'll get different. It'll get different. And, and that's not very inspiring for me. (laughs) Like, like I had a different problem every night, but they're all kind of the same, but you know, I'm 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 one of the ones that that decided that life needs to be better, and and we kind of have to take responsibility for that, right? And remembering our priorities is is a big part of it. Right. Number, number one, I lost I lost my ability to enjoy a life with alcohol in it. I lost. I gave it up. Yeah. Um, whether it's genetic or it's through a choice or forced effort. I gave that up, and so priority number one is remembering that mm-hmm. I'm an alcoholic that drinking makes my life worse, yeah, yeah. And, and from that, I can move forward and, and start establishing some good things like you've shared on the show so many times, you know going to you know, finding our passions and finding you know freedom from from our old self doubts mm-hmm. and self-limiting beliefs and our and our you know the things that that have all we've always wanted to do we go out and find those things and and pursue them and and help other people out and we become a service and we we start building a life that's respected and and expected we're expected to show up to work and we're expected to show up to function sober and we're called upon to help people out and we're invited out for dinner and we're invited places and people are excited to see us and, and life becomes meaningful Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. Right. It may not feel like that right off the rip. Right. But it gets that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it really does have to start too, especially within that 30 days, it really does have to start with, with 100% complete acceptance that this is no longer an option for me. Yeah. Like this, this is no longer an option for me. And, and I have exhausted every (laughs) means of taking this in a responsible way unsuccessfully. (laughs) And, and really like once, once, once I was able to do that, I did get to a point where I could start imagining a life without it. And it started to seem better. Yeah. And I could believe it. Yeah. And I could believe I like in that. myself. And like once, once I was able to get that first 30 days, I was like, huh, wow, I can do it. Yeah. You know, like I can do it. And, and, and then you start to pick up some momentum. You start seeing what works. You start seeing like things you should probably stay away from situations, people, places, things, and uh, and you really kind of start to to navigate the waters of recovery in a way that hopefully, like you said, will make your life better. And for me, like different was enough. <laughs> yeah, you know, like if anything had to be better, <laughs> different was enough. You know, so you got a point. So it could be different, and I was okay with that. But it did get better. Yeah, you know. That being said, like it did get better, and even though you know, like I had those moments where yeah i would see the homeless guy on the side of the road and be like man that guy hasn't figured out lucky (laughs) like that's okay yeah you know like i'm gonna have those moments in recovery as well like there's gonna be those days where things are just overwhelming and and uh and you know like i can look at those situations today and say okay what's going on if i'm looking at the homeless guy thinking you know he's probably got it figured out then then I'm probably doing something wrong or I'm not doing yeah. enough of something. And, uh, and you know, and that's, and that's kind of where my program has gotten to now. Um, but it all started with that acceptance, man. So I feel like I really had to nail that down first yeah. and swallow that gigantic pill. Yeah. I couldn't,
0: I could not. So grateful for my first 30 days today. Wouldn't be here without now, it. Yeah, for sure, man. Yep. And and you know, grateful that I can be sober and social and in, mm-hmm. in that amount of time. So I think speaking of sober and social. That was
1: such a great segue. It felt so natural. Yeah.
0: Danny was awesome. <laughs> she is awesome. And so, you know, we got this topic from her story. It's been fun to talk about. And kind of go back and remember the way that it felt. It's been a sec. So, uh, we're going to let her explain. I don't know. What what am I supposed to say? That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Let her do
1: it. (laughs) You guys, here's this week's
0: war story. This is
1: Danny's war story.
0: This week's war story is brought to you by brainwashed coffee. Brainwashed coffee is a damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which makes it a perfect partner for us here at the Other Side of Hell podcast. With delicious blends like Coffee Commitment Found a New Freedom, we drink a hell of a lot of it here and it gives us the energy we need to deliver a quality show. Right now you can get $5 off your coffee purchase at BrainwashedCoffeeCo.com using promo code Other Side. Clean your bean. Brainwashed coffee. Now, without further ado, here's this week's war story.
2: My name is Danny, and I am an alcoholic. I am a grateful, recovering, super messy, (laughs) in the moment alcoholic. Um, I have been in recovery for about 17 months now. And, um, you know, it's been a wild journey. All of this actually started um, from Instagram, believe it or not. Uh 17 months ago, I um was in a, a really horrible spot. And um, you know, I I drank for 27 years consecutively. There was there was no break other than pregnancies in my drinking. And um and life just became absolutely miserable, chaotic, unmanageable, and I was absolutely powerless over alcohol Um, and not just alcohol you know I was using prescription pills and drinking at the same time to amplify my drunk my drunk state of mind Um, and it truly just got to a point where my life revolved entirely around alcohol Um, but you know it wasn't always that way so let's back up Um, I was born in the early 80s my parents were your typical hippie couple that got married and, um, they had me. And then a couple years later, they had my little brother, Justin. And, uh, you know, they maintained their addictions throughout, you know, their marriage and their life. And, um, I don't know that it was at some, some, some peak in their marriage. Um, you know, that addiction was heavier or less, but, um, they did very much have that lifestyle. They were hippies and that's sort of you know, maintained throughout their marriage. Needless to say, um, my little brother got sick when he was about six months old. And uh, it all started with a misdiagnosed ear infection. And it just progressively got worse from there. And he was extremely sick for months upon months in and out of the hospital hospitals doctors were misdiagnosing him what was going on my parents were going through hell um i'm assuming i was too young to know otherwise but i'm assuming that their addictions probably skyrocketed then i have some pretty vague memories even um as a young toddler running around the house and remembering that scraping sound on the mirror and um you know just some of the arguments they would have and in any case um, A lot of trips to the hospital at that point, um, I know that it was causing a huge wedge between my parents. And uh, so I was about four and we, my mom and my dad split. My mom and I and my little brother moved out with a man um, who became her boyfriend. And, uh, very shortly after that, my little brother came down with, or, or he was, he was so sick with back-to-back ear infections that he developed, uh, spinal meningitis. And then he ended up getting pneumonia shortly after that. And in conjunction with a weakened immune system and everything else, he went into a coma and he died very shortly after that. He was almost two years old. Um... I believe that that is what shifted my parents' addictions into overdrive. Um, They lost their son and um, I think I just ended up becoming that child that was put on the back burner. You know, they had to take care of me because I was theirs, right? But by no means, um, you know, as a child, as an adult, even looking back into my childhood, did I ever feel I was, you know, their priority. I was just, I was just there. Needless to say, my parents got divorced. My dad moved to Utah. Um, he is a biomedical engineer, still maintaining his career despite his addictions. And my mom continued living with this man who, uh, very quickly became, uh, abusive to a degree that I still can't wrap my head around today. So uh, when I was about five, I started bouncing back and forth between my mom and my dad, and they decided on this every other year custody arrangement. So I would go spend every other year with my dad, which turned out to be a blessing because the years that I was with my mom were the years that I was extremely and heavily abused by her boyfriend. So um, to put that into perspective, um My mom and her boyfriend got so heavily involved in their addictions, which was meth, by the way. Very heavy meth users. They were not able to maintain a household, so it wasn't long before they purchased a small travel trailer. And that is what I grew up in behind my grandfather's house. Um, I actually carry this around in my purse with me because it's a great reminder And this picture is a little old and beat up, but it's a great reminder, um, you know, to stay strong when time gets tough. And I don't know if you can really see it, but this is the travel trailer still resides at my mom's house to this day um, that I grew up in. So from the time I was six years old until I was 12, I lived in that trailer with my mom and her abusive meth head alcoholic boyfriend. And uh, my mom was also on meth too. They were both very, very involved with it. They were um, manufacturing it. Um, He was also an alcoholic and um, it was in those moments of his heavy alcoholism in conjunction with doing meth, that the abuse really took place. So um, there was multiple bouts at him strangling me. Um, I can't tell you how many times I woke up with him shaking me, moving my head around, smacking me, screaming at me to wake up. My whole body was tingly. Um, it would take me a moment to come back into reality. Um, didn't know where I was, who I was, what was going on. I just knew that at one point I had been in trouble for whatever the case may have been. I think, you know, maybe I missed a dish in the sink or maybe I didn't pull the weeds the way he wanted me to, whatever the case may be. Um, he found it, um, you know, He found it right to to abuse me in those moments. Uh, Strangling was his favorite thing to do. Um, The very first time he ever actually abused me, I'll never forget this. I came home from school early one day and it was like an early release day. And um, they had always told me if I came home from school to check under the mat, grab the key, come inside, start my homework, wait for them to get home. And um, I I was six years old. I came home, looked under the mat, saw the key, um, but I also saw my bike sitting in the corner and that looked way more appealing. So I went and grabbed my bicycle and I went out and started riding my bicycle. Next thing I know, he's out there chasing after me in his truck, grabs me by the hair, throws me in his truck, gets in, backhands me, and at this point I'm killed over because I can't breathe, gets me back over to, um, at this time we were actually living in his house before they lost it and we moved to the trailer. Um, and he drags me in by my hair. He pulled me into a bathroom where he filled up a sink and he held my head underwater until I was kicking and screaming and now bloody because I'm banging my head around because I couldn't breathe. And um, very shortly after that, he grabbed me and stripped me down of all my clothing, threw me on the, on the ground, and he sat on top of me, all of his weight. And, um, I, I peed and I shit myself and I was throwing up and, you know, obviously hysterical. I couldn't breathe. I felt every bone in my body crack. I thought I was going to die. And that was, that was how my childhood abuse started. Um, it was from that point on that he, it was heavy abuse, just like that. Um, if I didn't finish what I was eating, um, there would be times where it would make me sick for instance, wasn't a big fish eater, but he would put a piece of fish down on my plate and tell me to eat it. And I would eat it until I would get sick and throw it up. And then he would make me sit there and eat my throw up. So this was the kind of sick man that I grew up with. Um, He was very heavily involved in his addictions, obviously. Um, Him and my mom had very heavy in their distributing meth, making meth. Um, there was a, a shed right next to our trailer where they actually had their whole setup. Um, in fact, I, my mom's best friend actually died in a meth lab in a house <laughs> that caught fire from the lab. And, um, yeah, it, that, that was just sort of the, the drug exposure that I had growing up. Um, I was always around it he would sit there and make glass pipes right in front of me and tell me he was blowing glass and that it was an art i mean i was seven years old and i was sitting there in awe sitting across the table in this tiny trailer watching this man blow a glass pipe and a torch thinking that if if i just pretended to be truly interested in what he was doing i might not get the shit beat out of me that night right um And so I went through this for six years. And during that six years, I would bounce to my dad's every other year. He lived in Utah for a couple of years. He lived in Vegas for another year. He kind of moved around. He was a biomedical engineer and his job sort of required him to travel and relocate. But nonetheless, when I would get to go see my dad and spend those times with him, my dad very quickly evolved into like my hero because my dad did not abuse me was he the best dad ever? No, he was also a, a meth user and every other drug user and he was an alcoholic too. Um, he was in a rock band and I would spend a lot of time watching this storage unit that they had. They were called the, uh, oh damn, what was the name? Of the, oh, I can't remember now, but Anyway, um, so, so I would spend every other year with my dad and he quickly became like my hero because he was the one that I felt that I could have a normal childhood with. Well, normal in comparison to what I was experiencing. And so, um, I never had the bravery or the courage to tell him what was going on at home because I, there was this huge part of me that was, So scared to not go home thinking that if I didn't, I wouldn't be there to protect my mom, you know, and because I mean this man he he beat my mom worse than he beat me. I mean he put her in the hospital a couple of times. I mean, I called the cops on several occasions to to stop the violence, to stop him hurting her. Um, I can't tell you how many times we would run up to grandpa's house and grandpa was our hero too, you know, just lock ourselves in the house and he would pound on the door and he'd break windows and you know, it was just a true nightmare living with this this man. But, um, so about 12 years old, um, you know, I got older and I knew at that point in my heart, something wasn't right. Started fighting back, started using my words. Um, my mom started getting braver. She started fighting back. And, um, I was in junior high and I had a boyfriend at the time and, um, he was, my boyfriend was best friends with, with this kid whose house we would always go spend all this time at. My mom finally asked me one night, where are you spending all this time at? And I said over at Nick's house. And so she said, well, I'd like to come by there and and meet Nick and, you know, I want to know where you're spending your time. Cause I mean, I was there every day. We ditched school over whatever, you know, this is where I was. And, uh, so she eventually met Nick's dad and that's when our life changed. Um, She got a restraining order, left, left her boyfriend, got a restraining order. And for the first time in my life, I felt like there was going to be this huge, amazing change, right? Like no more abuse and no more drugs. And and my life was just going to be normal. Um, It was not even a year after that, that I discovered alcohol and got drunk for the first time at 13. And so my life went from all this crazy childhood abuse to falling completely in love with a substance that made me forget about all of this childhood abuse, right? And so that's where my alcoholism started. And I had no idea. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea at the time what that type of love would constitute. I just knew that it felt good. And it made me feel better. And it, it gave me this confidence that I didn't otherwise have. And it gave me confidence enough that I could be this outgoing, bubbly, lively person. And I can get all this attention that I didn't otherwise have. Because growing up with the childhood that I grew up with, there was so much neglect. And there was so much negativity. And there was just so much toxic elements, so much drugs, so much violence, so much everything in, in my life that when I discovered I could be this completely different person when I was drunk. Oh my God. Well, as any alcoholic truly knows, you know, I quickly fell in love with just being a drunk. And so, um, you know, you fast forward 27 years of active drinking and, um, and that, that was just life as I knew it i never really thought it was a problem i never really thought that the capacity in which i drank was a problem because it's all i've ever known everybody that i knew and know to date drinks it's a normal thing to drink everybody that i know if they don't drink they use drugs or they medicate or there's some form of of you know filling a void with some sort of substance right so I always took pride in the fact that I wasn't a drug user because I had grown up in such a, a toxic drug, you know, induced environment. I always said I will never be a drug user. I could, I could never be that person. And I was just so badly scarred from that that I blame the drug, you know. Um, and thank God because, because to date I still blame the drug. Um, I. I You know, I I know that this person has some accountability and responsibility of it, but um, in any case, um, over the course of those 27 years, you know, I somehow managed to have three amazing kids. Um, I have been in, well, two, I've gone through two divorces, um, both of which took place because of alcohol related tendencies, just can't keep my shit together. Um, and you know, I was more interested in partying. My spouse was more interested in partying and and that environment ultimately just led to a lot of fighting and a lot of, you know, animosity and resentments towards each other. It's hard to keep a marriage together when you're, when you're living in such a, um, unmanageable situation. And so I was single for a long time and, um, even though I was still actively drinking heavily, I was, you know, I had a, a full-time job. I, um, had a part-time job. I was in school full-time and it's crazy when I think about it now, how I even accomplished all that. I, I don't know. It's all really just a blur. Um, but I can't tell you how many countless times that I went to work hung over and, or how many papers I wrote drunk, or <clears throat> I can't tell you um, how many of my children's school events, how many of my children's sports events I missed because I was just too hung over or it interfered with my party. You know, um, I, I very quickly, you know, alcohol became my escape and my go-to for everything. It was my reason for absolutely everything. It was my reason to relax. It was my reason to celebrate. It was my reason not to feel. It was my reason for absolutely everything. And, um, and I raised my kids living in that headspace. Um, so fast forward to 17 months ago, I was sitting in my kitchen and, uh, my sister-in-law who I think he, uh, well, I know you met, we can probably take that part out, but, um, uh, my sister-in-law walked in my front door and, uh, she was like glowing and I looked at her and I said, what in the hell are you doing? Like whatever drug, whatever it is you're doing, I need some of that. Cause I wanted what she had. And she was like, I'm freaking sober girl. I don't drink anymore. And I was like, what? Oh no. Oh, no, I can't do that. No, no, no way. Okay, yeah, fine. You do you. But that's, that's not me. You know, I just was so stuck in, in my, I couldn't even imagine my life without alcohol, truly. I mean, I had just, that's just how I lived. It's just how it was. Every night, it was bottles and bottles of wine. Every weekend, I would look forward to going out and partying. Um, I, I literally created my life so that it revolved around alcohol there was no, you know, okay, I'm going to live life as a responsible adult. And I'm going to drink, you know, in a capacity that works. No way. It wasn't like that. My friends drank. And if they didn't drink, I couldn't be friends with them. I mean, I was always that girl that people would call up and be like, Hey, what's up? Let's go take, let's go to the bar. Let's, let's go get fucked up. Let's go do this. Let's go get in trouble. Let's go do bad girl shit, whatever we would do. And I would be the first to say, I'll be there in five never did I turn down a good time and, uh, you know, (laughs) I'm going to be 40 and it, it, it took me all those years having to go through all that and watching my sister-in-law walk in my front door and go to wake up that next morning after she told me she was sober. I woke up that next morning and I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to try that. I'm just going to try and see what happens. And that morning, that Friday morning, I woke up, that was the last, the night before that was the last time I ever drank. Um, I committed to the first 30 days. I thought this is absolutely insane. I can't even imagine my life without alcohol. I can't imagine not having that, that, that version of me. Who am I with that alcohol? You know, I really started questioning things like, how do I function? How do I maintain relationships? how do I, how do I party? How do I, Oh my God, how am I going to deal with stress? Oh my gosh. Like, how am I going to have events without alcohol? Who like, I just didn't know who I was without alcohol. And for some reason and call it a God shot, call it whatever you want. There was some shift in the universe that said, give it a shot. So I did. And I committed to the first 30 days. And in those first 30 days, it was really kind of incredible what happened. Um, it was nothing particular that happened. Rather, it was all these particular moments that sort of compiled. And that's when I woke up and was like, oh my God, A, you're a completely fucked up person. B, you're never going to get any better if you don't get rid of alcohol permanently. Like if you go back to what you were doing 30 days ago, nothing is going to change. And I wanted to change so bad because I was just so sick of living in that, like, twisted, you know, victim. I was always victim. Everything was everybody else's fault. I was always flaking on everybody for everything. I couldn't be a good friend. I couldn't be in any kind of commitment, whether it was an event, whether it was a a social, whether it was to my kids, whether it was to my relationships. I just couldn't be in any type of commitment because it interfered with what was really important to me. Um, and so I started noticing that I was able to do things a little bit differently. It was pretty messy in the beginning, you know, for the first 90 days, um, I was on this pink cloud. Oh my God, I'm sober. This is amazing. And, and I can make these big changes. You know, I started seeing, there was some clarity that came, there were some uh, moments of serenity. There was some, um, Just, you know, epiphanies that were happening. And I thought, okay, I'm going to keep this going. Um, And after 90 days, I feel so hard on my ass. It, It was just right back to that slump of, oh my God, who are you? What are you doing? And I had this like overwhelming anxiety and this pit in my stomach that I just didn't know how to be a sober person. And so I created an Instagram and that's how Sober Socially developed And, um, I thought, damn, I don't have anybody in my life to connect to who's sober, who doesn't drink, who doesn't use, how am I supposed to do this? It was just my sister-in-law. We weren't super close yet. At the time we started getting real close right after that. And so I created this Instagram and I started watching other people and I'm, and I, and I was watching other people tell their story, just sort of, you know, like how I am now. And, and sharing their journey, their experience, strength and hopes, sharing all of uh, their moments. And they were doing it out loud. And I thought, oh, my God, that's what I need to do. I need to connect with these people. I need to be a part of this community because it just resonated so much down into my heart of hearts. I thought these are my people. This is where I belong. And so I just dove in. I started following all these different accounts. I stumbled across um, uh Jim, uh uh, god why am i brain farting i have like so many different sober accounts on my mind right now um with valor fitness and then with not stay humble um ah, i don't know there's there's just so many anyway i started stumbling across all these people then i then you know as i'm falling on my ass trying to figure out you know who i am in sobriety i had put it out there on Instagram. Like, Hey, you guys, I'm really struggling. And I don't know what to do. I don't know how to stay sober. And I don't know how to do this right. Somebody recommended AA. And I was like, Oh, hell no, I'm not going to AA. Those people freaking creep me out. I am not one of those people, you know, that's for the homeless guy drinking out of the brown bag. And I, you know, whatever I thought my shit didn't stink right. I walked my ass into an AA meeting and it changed my freaking life. I am in steps 10, 11, and 12 right now. I have an amazing sponsor who has just given me so much hope and and she has shined so much light in my life and this program of fellowship and this community of recovery that I get to be a part of, you know, even indirectly on Instagram, but I get to go and be a part of all these events where these people get to continue to share their journeys out loud. And it is so impactful because I know I'm not alone. I am not alone. I am not alone in any of the things I went through as a child. I'm not alone in any of the ways that I coped with adulthood because of what I went through as a child. And I'm not alone because I still fucking battle. I'm not alone in this journey. And that for me is huge because I grew up feeling so alone and I was so alone in my addiction, right? It was like, nobody else is as bad as I am. And well, Everybody else is just as bad as I was. There's no story that's better or worse than the other, but it just feels good not to be alone. So, um, you know, what's worked most for me is being a part of just an amazing fellowship within AA, having an amazing sponsor, being able to connect with other women, and and even obtaining my first sponsee recently has been, oh my gosh, a game changer in some ways. Um, being able to dive in deep with other recovery communities and just really listen and connect with these people Um, and really just putting my heart and soul into it. It's so important to me. Um, And now I know that I went through all of this shit that I went through and that I am going through all of these things that I'm going through now, these struggles, because it gives me this opportunity to grow and overcome and learn. And then when I do that, I get to share that with everybody so that they don't feel alone. And I am just so I feel so much passion about that, and I feel so much excitement about that. Um, just, just that alone kind of keeps me going. It kind of keeps me in that headspace of, you didn't come this far to give to give up. Not just on myself, but give up on everybody else. You know, I feel like. I do this for me so that I can be a better version of me and share that version with other people to give them that hope, to give them that joy that, you know, they, they might need. And, and you know, it, it works. There's so many people on Instagram that inspire me there's people who, who come to me daily and tell me I inspire them and, and all I'm doing is recovery, you know? And um, so it's just, this journey is a blessing. Everything I went through as a kid, It's, it's a blessing in the weirdest way because I get to overcome and I get to share that, um, all the addictions that I went through and that I experienced because of everything I've been through, it's a blessing because I get to overcome all that and I get to talk about it. And, um, so I guess there's just that part of me that keeps going because it's so important to share, you know? Um, yeah, so that's where I'm at today. I get to be a present mom. I get to be that mom that my kids can come to when they have a problem. Um, I get to be a far better friend. Um, I've lost three quarters of my friends, but, you know, I guess that kind of happens. It's okay. I have made some amazing friends in recovery. Um, my memory is intact. I get to dig deep into to this person who was this dead flower that's blooming into something new and beautiful. and. It's very empowering. It's very exciting. Um, you know, there was a lot of physical changes that came along with my sobriety and stuff that has brought me confidence that I never had before. You know, I used to have to drink to feel this way. And now I get to just be this messy person who still gets to feel confident about it because I know I'm not alone. And I know that, you know, I'm in this sober state of mind and I know that I'm in recovery and I know that I'm, I'm over here fighting for it. So um, you know, the blessings, they just keep rolling in one door after the other, it just keeps opening in the strangest ways, whether it's some type of career opportunity that's even within recovery or it's, uh, you know, a new relationship that I get to connect with, with another person, another friend, another, another human being, right. It's just having those good soul connections. Um, and that's what keeps me, that's what keeps me here. It keeps me grounded. It keeps me sober. And, um, yeah, I'm just, um, happy, joyous, and free over here. <laughs> I get to just be a different person today. And I love who that person is. I love who I'm becoming. And and that's not something that I could have said some 17 months ago. So, so yeah, um, huge changes with sobriety. It's a journey. There's a lot of hard moments, but you know, I, I, I look forward to them in a sense because it means I get to, to overcome and and there's always a silver lining. There's always something to learn from it. And uh, I seem to be, when I get into these hard moments, I seem to be able to connect with other people and um, I learn something every time. So that's been, that's been pretty incredible on its own too. So yeah, I don't know if, if anybody is, is struggling and and feels like they want to give up and there's no more hope. I don't know. My, my tool is to get down on my knees and I pray, I pray, I pray my ass off. I pray my heart out. I cry, ugly cry. I reach out to the people that I love. I reach out to the people that I know that, um, that love me back unconditionally that I can spew all this bullshit out to, And they can say, you're not alone. You're okay. And you're loved. And, um, yeah, just don't keep, just, just don't quit fighting, you know, it's worth it. Every bit of it, fighting a good fight. That's all I got. (laughs) Um, yeah. So if you're interested in in following me or connecting with me, I love chatting with new people. Um, I love sharing stories, especially experience, strength, and hope. Um, my Instagram is sober underscore socially and, uh, yeah, reach out, DM, leave a comment anything would love to chat <laughs> don't quit
0: fighting Cameron you are worth the work she's right damn right it's, it's the good fight yeah it has been not not alone I love it man yeah I love the fact that we have people to spill this shit out on and can talk and reach out and commit you know thank you Danny There's, yeah thank she you she went Danny. through some shit it's good know? to know we have people like her on our side yeah yeah she definitely
1: had a, a very interesting childhood. I mean, you know, she had the, uh, she had the, the hippie parents and the divorce and the abuse and, and, and I don't mean to gloss over all that, but again, one thing that we, we hear so much is, is she felt different. You yeah. know, she didn't feel like she fit in with everybody else. Like, uh, like, you know, she was absent the day they handed out, Something, yeah, you know that peace and serenity, and, and and I definitely relate with that, and we hear that so so very much. Yeah. It seems to be a telltale sign of, you know, everybody in recovery, and yeah.
0: So I really like that
1: part of her story. Yeah, when she's
0: talking about when she's talking about the mom's boyfriend being so abusive, it's hard. It's hard to not just want to save that. Yeah, or know? kick that dude's ass. Yeah. I just want to save her from it and mm-hmm. you know she went, she went through all that and like she said now now somebody else that's been through that will have somebody that can be connected with right and mm-hmm. and it doesn't it, it's just so so mind blowing the the disease that we have right because children are so affected and like yeah um, we we go through and blast through our selfishness and, and stay in it. And her parents were no no different than that, you know, making her grow up in a camper and just staying in the shit being meth cooks. And, well, and it's, it's a super dangerous life. Yeah. You know? and finally yeah. finding that relief in alcohol at age mm-hmm. 13. Like, it's like so many of did. us have. Yeah. Yeah. And how could it be any different for any of us? Yeah. And then finding the ability to be grateful for all that insanity. Right. Because we get this. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to say, like, I love
1: hearing her. You can hear when she talks and she shares about some of that stuff that she's gotten to a point where she can see that her parents were sick. Mm -hmm. And and uh, and she's at least gotten to a space where she's able to recognize the disease working in them as it did with her yep. and i think that um you know that that couldn't have came, came yeah. overnight um that that definitely is uh is a sign of the work that she's done
0: yeah and so i appreciate that yeah and, and, you know, going back to how we pulled the topic out of this, you know, like so much happened for her in the first 30 days. Mm-hmm. It was really profound for her. Mm-hmm. And, and I appreciate that. I appreciate her talking about that and reminding us that a lot can happen in the first 30 days. And, and I love that, you know, her sister-in-law shows up sober yeah. and she's like, what the fuck is up? What did you want? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want some of that. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's what a lot of people see. In us. Attraction rather than promotion. When they go back out and we stay here and they go, wow, where would I be, right? That's, that's a question. Where would I be? if I didn't continually go back to what doesn't work, if I continually went, if I didn't continually go back to try to find happiness in the same place, I consistently lose Mm -hmm. it. Like, Mm -hmm. Like all that stuff. And so having these examples and, and you know, her Instagram page is great. She posts every day and it's always, you know, something inspiring and, and she shares her journey openly. So, you know, again, thank you so much for your story. Yeah. It was wonderful to talk to her. I love, I love that I get to, have these conversations before and after the shoot time we only have so much time for for the story and right. it's hard to get it in but i get to you know talk a little bit deeper about some of these things and and she shared some of more of her recovery process you know even even some things with the family members that that she talked about and 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 like all that stuff it's just such a beautiful life now mm-hmm. for for all of us for everybody that's on this side of the table, it affects everybody that was in our lives before. And it's usually in a positive way. I know it has been for me. Yeah, me too. And it's mm-hmm. definitely been for her. So yeah.
1: Yeah. She's Good amazing. stuff. Good well, stuff. I mean, I really like talking about this. I think it was a uh, really interesting to sort of revisit, uh, you know, those early days, probably something I don't think about often enough. And so, uh, you know, thanks yeah. Danny for inspiring the topic and for sharing your story and, and, uh, and it, to anybody out there that's in their first 30 days, just, you know, just keep, keep in mind it is worth it. You know, you're, you're going to be a lot of things in this first 30 days, <laughs> but at the end of
0: it, if you're sober, you'll be happy yeah, and that's keep fighting the good fight. Like that's she right. Said. So sweet. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank what you, you. What do you say? get out of here yeah let's get out of here man jordan you're the man jordan thanks buddy rylan it's good to see you over there thanks thanks for the thumbs up you're worth the work i am yeah so are you with that we're gonna get out of here thank you everybody for tuning in and see you on the other side you are worth the work okay bye The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.